0: Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is God's word. I'm going to go ahead and pray for Eric before he comes up here. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for such beautiful weather, God, that we get to see your grace just in the beauty of it. And I I pray for Eric as he leads us in this passage of Scripture, God. I pray that you would give him peace. Um, I pray, Father God, that he would have humility. And I pray that you would help us to receive what it is that he is sharing. That is the gospel, God. I pray that you would soften our hearts and respond to what we hear today. And I just thank you, God, for your presence and for the love that we get to witness um, in being outside and through the hearing of your word. In your son's name I pray. Amen.
1: Um, I feel like it was a couple weeks ago, Michael Tooley got up here and he was saying how concerned he was about his hair blowing around in the wind. And I just thought that was really cute because some of us have real concerns about that. Um, but you know, Michael's a sweet kid and I, I can empathize with him. So um, I've not been up here in a while, so this could be an interesting morning. Uh, you know, there's a lot of songs, especially if you kind of sweep through classic rock radio, or unfortunately now for me, a lot of the stuff that I listened to in junior high and high school is being considered on that side of the dial. But there's a lot of great songs about being a fool, right? What a Fool Believes, Won't Get Fooled Again, Chain of Fools, one of Kevin's favorites, Foolish Games, Jewel, always weighing in with Foolish Games. We have these decades of radio that express the truth that we don't wanna be fools, right? Unless it's in the right way. Fools for love, fools for the beautiful things in life. In the first five verses of Galatians 3, Paul calls his friends, his spiritual children, fools. And if we've been paying attention at all, we see why. Paul doesn't think that they're stupid or unintelligent, but he sees this dangerous gap between the gospel that they received and what they're trusting in now. And we've called this series in Galatians, Only Jesus, because Paul is clear throughout this book that only Jesus saves and restores and changes us. And the Galatians have been fooled into believing that they can add something to that. And so Paul is as clear with them as he can be. He says, no act, no custom, no rite, no ritual can improve upon what Christ has done. Now, I could stand up here this morning and rant and rave about spiritual foolishness. And that might be justified. I think that it's okay for us as preachers to let the tone of our sermon match the tone of the passage But I keep thinking as I've been preparing this week about all the Sunday mornings that I've stood here and I've sung amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And then I go home on Sunday afternoon and I act like my faith is up to me. And so I come to you this morning as a fool who doesn't want to get fooled again. And this morning I pray that my hope will be your hope and I think all of our hope rests on the main idea of this passage which is that only the Spirit of God can complete the work of salvation beginning to end. Only the Spirit of God can complete the work of salvation beginning to end. I just want to encourage you in two ways this morning. These, these points sound simple, but as the passage shows us, they, they can so easily elude us. The first is simply remember your salvation. Remember your salvation. Look at verses one and two again with me. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so Paul carries on here as he has throughout this letter undercutting all this unnecessary religious activity that's been heaped upon the Galatians by upholding the centrality of the true gospel. The Galatians are acting like people who've been hypnotized. They follow another voice. They exercise poor judgment. They agree to all these extra things, circumcision, man-made customs and rules, because they'd rather be safe than sorry. It's easier to do something than relax into abundant grace. It's more comfortable to do something than to abide in Christ. And so Paul calls them to remember their salvation. And he's not doing so because he's interested in some sort of passive spiritual nostalgia. This is an interrogation. Everybody's already talking about effort. So while we're talking about it, Paul says, what were the verbs of your salvation? What were the action words? In verse 1, he says, you beheld the crucified Christ. You beheld him. We painted a picture of Jesus on the cross, broken and poured out for you. You gazed upon it. You staked your life on it. And there are implications to that that you can't ignore. When you see and you acknowledge Jesus on the cross, it presumes that all the work of salvation is his. He is where you should have been. He kicks the legs out from under all of your good works. He does so out of compassion because he knows that you cannot come to God by yourself. And so out of love, he puts an end to your failure and your striving. And when you behold the crucified Christ, when you truly set your gaze upon him, you cannot look away without stumbling like Peter did when he was trying to walk on the water. You cannot turn your gaze back to yourself and your own doing without losing something fundamental about the way that you and God relate to one another. You beheld and you also received. Verse 2. The Galatians wear the mark of true believers. God has set his spirit upon them, loosed his power in their lives. They walk around in his presence and inherit in that word Received is the real work of salvation. Because what does received imply? Received implies something extended, something given. When I go downstairs on Christmas morning and open a present, when I receive a kiss from my wife, even when I receive a compliment from somebody about something that I've done, there's this fundamental understanding that I didn't make this happen. I can't add to this. My work is to receive With gratitude, this little miracle that's been given to me. And so, responding in puffed out pride, or or even worse, trying to just take these gifts for myself, it's foolishness. Paul uses similar words in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 7. This is a verse that just wrecks me every time I read it. He says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What brought on your salvation? Was it beholding and believing or was it working for it? His question is rhetorical because the answer is clear. Paul calls the Galatians to remember their salvation, and I want to call you to the same thing this morning. I'll never forget the way that Charles Spurgeon, preacher in the 19th century, does the same thing how he remembers his salvation these words are great he says one week night when i was sitting in the house of god i was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon for i did not believe it kind of a, an interesting start but stick with him the thought struck me how did you come to be a christian i sought the lord but how did you come to seek the lord the truth flashed across my mind in a moment I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures, but how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. And I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. Friend, remember who you were before Christ. How spotless was your record? How good were your good works, really? Good enough to conjure up the spirit of God? Whether you came in drama and tears or whether you just confessed a simple yes, you recognized that you were not enough. You beheld the greatness of Christ and your work was to receive and you couldn't even do that alone. I don't fully understand the physics or the metaphysics of salvation, but the Spirit is the bridge between the beholding and the receiving. The Spirit completes that. The Spirit lifts your eyes up to see Christ crucified. And then the Spirit stands in the gap and He whispers in your ear, that's for you. And so whatever impulse you had to turn to Christ came from Christ Himself. The Spirit stretched your arms out and Jesus placed all the riches of God in your hands. So abundant that they ran through your fingers and they spilled all over the floor. Let that memory impress itself upon your heart this morning. It feels safer to make ourselves a spiritual checklist. It seems easier to keep the rules. Don't taste, don't touch, don't watch, don't shop there, don't be seen with that person. It feels more comfortable to just follow the voice of another pastor or to walk the plank of a political party to imitate them rather than rest in Christ. But Paul says it's foolishness. And it denies the power of the grace of God. Remember what we read just a little while back. Galatians 2. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Friends, remember your salvation today. Remember your salvation. Number two, rely on the Spirit. Rely on the Spirit. Verses 3 through 5. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I'm a newspaper editor for my job, and it's been humbling over the last couple of years to try to explain to my seven-year-old how that job works and why it's needed. Um, he gets why we need firefighters. He gets why we need construction workers. He gets why we need mail carriers and doctors. But you know, he'll ask me about my job. He says, "So people write things, and then what happens? Uh, you know, if they're wrong, I fix it. And and how do you take those words and send them to the people who print the paper? Oh, you know, I just send it on the computer. Yeah, but how? I just send it on the computer. You know, that's kind of how the conversation goes." I think sometimes as Christians, we struggle to explain how and why the Holy Spirit works. But when we start to unpack what it does, we see how desperately we need it. The Spirit convicts us of our sin and convinces us of God's goodness. The Spirit bends our lives toward repentance and worship. The Spirit seals our salvation and immerses us in the life of God. The Spirit magnifies and multiplies whatever works we do to actually make them matter. The Spirit completes our prayers, interceding when all we can do is groan. The Spirit clarifies the great mysteries of the gospel. The Spirit fuels our perseverance. And time and time and time again, the Spirit impresses the love of God upon our hearts so that we remember whose we are. And when you really sit with all that the Spirit does, there's no way we can do the job. The Spirit perseveres with us through our imperfections and one day the spirit will deliver us into the fullness of God's kingdom perfected and we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to marvel and look back and say how did I get here and we're going to try to look back and we're not going to see anything that we've done the answer is going to be clear only by the spirit of God at work in you and yet I keep trying the dots Don't always connect for me. If you asked me to recount my salvation, I would tell you it was all Jesus. But if I'm honest, on most days I act like everything else is up to me. My spiritual growth, my victory over sin, my ability to muster up worship, all of it, it's on me. Circumstances are different, but I'm just like the Galatians. And this so often is the source of my spiritual despair. I act as though I'm being perfected by the works of the flesh, but the flesh is weak, y'all. As one scholar points out, some Galatians were literally putting their flesh on the line through circumcision. Think about that. But everybody within the reach of Paul's words was staking their hope on the works of the flesh. If they could just do enough, if they could just get enough right, their salvation would be sealed, God would be pleased, they could be secure. But it's a lie. There's no logic to it. We talk about imperfect people being saved by a perfect God, but then those imperfect people start to believe they can finish the job. This is just the old man, the old mindset inside of us trying to hang on and do something, and we've got to give it up. Don't believe the lie or fall under the spell that you can finish what God started. There was a point in your past where you looked at all your good works and you saw nothing but dirty dishes and filthy clothes. Don't start trying to boast on how clean your house is now. You tried to belong everywhere that you could squeeze in, but there was one person who knew you and loved you fully. Don't start trying to make it on your clubs and your social circles now. At one point you threw your hands up in the air and you said, I can't do this. Don't now buy into the gospel of I can be enough. No plan that you make, no party that you join, no success that you have, no shortcut that you take can replicate the slow, patient, loving work of the spirit of God in your life. Refining you, completing you leading you from salvation to perfection. Of course we need a substitute. Of course we need an intervention, but it can't be something that we draw up or dream up. Only the Spirit can finish what Jesus started. Only God will see you through and keep you in his love. Time is going to come, if not today, then tomorrow When you're going to screw up your courage and you're going to grab your bootstraps and you're going to try to take on the work of sanctification all on your own. And I will too. And when that happens, please remember your salvation, recognize the Spirit, and rely on its work. If you're online at all, you've seen that meme, you know, How It Started, How It's Going. Sometimes, you know, it's like How It Started couple on their first date, how it's going, there's like five kids and they're all just like buried under stuff. Sometimes the after photo is this really joyful thing. Sometimes it's this wreck, you know, it's the punchline. Friends, let the pictures match. If how it started is Jesus, how it's going can only be Jesus. If we're in that after photo, it's not going to work. It's going to falter. It has to be the same. There's this fascinating little aside in verse 4, and I want to make sure I touch on it really quickly because I think it underlines what we're talking about. Paul says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Paul's reminding the Galatians that being a Christian is not easy. They might actually be persecuted. Certainly, all of us here face hardships and challenges. There are days when it doesn't seem worth it, there are gaps between what's real and what's true. And Paul says, are you willing to go through all of that for a religion that you're making up as you go along? Are you willing to suffer for rules that you made up and still struggle to keep? That's working in vain. That's a faith that will put you to shame. But if you rely on the Spirit, if you allow it daily to shape you into someone who beholds and then receives, and then gets up the next morning and beholds and then receives, That's never going to put you to shame. Don't believe that God, this one who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, is doing it because he's made some sort of deal with you. You check enough boxes, he'll keep supplying what you demand. He doesn't want the works of your flesh, he just wants you. So we need to remember our salvation and rely on the Spirit. This morning, by way of application, I, I don't want to call you to do anything. I don't want to twist even these rhythms of beholding and receiving into some new set of rules for you to follow. But I just want you to think about and kind of sit with this morning, how our reliance on the flesh and not on the spirit, it warps three types of relationships in our lives. First, it hinders our relationship with our neighbor. our relationship with our neighbor. This one might sting a little bit, but ask yourself, what weights are you piling on the people around you? What rules have you added to their understanding of the gospel? Of course, God uses us as means of grace, but some of us are trying to play the Holy Spirit in everybody else's lives without relying on him in ours. No doubt there are actual people that we know in real life that we need to take our thumbs their lives. But as I think about this, I'm also convinced that how we misunderstand our spiritual growth also affects our society at large. We keep swallowing these lies about how good we can be and how we get there. And so when something happens in our country, we put victims on trial before we ever worry about the accused. A black man or a brown girl gets shot and and a lot of us white folks, we decide what they deserve based on standards that we can't keep ourselves. We still think that we can make ourselves good enough, and so we expect everybody else to be perfectly innocent. And our internal scales of mercy and justice are imbalanced because of it. Y'all, we have not been immune here to pushback that's been going on around the country for pastors. And why are you talking about all these social issues when you should be talking about the gospel? And first of all, I'd love to show you my manuscript this morning and show you how what I just said was one paragraph in a six-page sermon. So if that's the paragraph that stands out to you, maybe we could talk about that. But I need you to see more fundamentally than that, that every time we misunderstand the gospel, it doesn't just affect us. It has implications for our neighbors. Do you see that? Paul is writing in this context to the Galatian Christians at a moment where Christians are being made to feel lesser than because of their ethnicity. They're being told to assimilate or you don't really get it. Y'all, you know, this passage right here is license for every black and brown Christian in America who's been told they have to worship like they're white or else they don't get it. This is license for them to say no thanks. Paul is giving them that freedom. But seriously, when we misunderstand the gospel, it has implications for our neighbor. I need you to see that. I need you to see how our understanding of our works and justice and mercy and what should be happening in our country is affected when we believe we can just do enough to get it right. If we stopped hanging these weights around our own necks, we'd stop doing it to other people too. We'd get out of the way long enough to let the Spirit do its work. We'd get out of the way long enough for us to throw an arm around our neighbor and behold the crucified Christ together. We'd get out of the way long enough for our country to see Christians as people who are fully relying on God and not hypocrites who selectively follow their own rules. Consider today how your reliance on the flesh affects your relationship with your neighbor. Consider also how it reflects your relationship with yourself. Are you tired? Tired of all the work? Tired of all the striving? I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. So I keep telling myself that, that my place in the world, that my relationship with the God, with God, the degree to which He is pleased with me, depends on my ability not to screw all this up. To be a patient dad and not a yelling dad. to be productive enough this week, to keep my mind and my hands unstained, and in doing so, I completely choke out the source of all of my ability to grow and be purified, and it's exhausting. I don't like myself very much when it's all up to me. And I bet that you don't either. What freedom it would bring to see ourselves as we actually are. Dependent, imperfect, but completely loved and accepted. Let's help each other let go and learn to be loved by God. And of course, this affects our relationship with God himself. If you have to read all the right books and avoid all the right movies and vote Republican every single time to get over the finish line, then it's not the crucified Christ that you're beholding anymore. It's some doppelganger of your own making. He draws you to himself, not so you'll keep the rules, but so that you can know him as he is. We will not always feel close to Christ in this life, but please don't let some cheap homemade substitute get between you. Rely on the spirit to help you behold him again. And it's only then that we're going to move from the point A of our salvation to the point B of perfection. And as we move along that path, we will do so in peace and in joy because he will walk beside us in his fullness the entire way. so many great songs about fools. One of my favorite lyrics still comes from a, an old song by Sarah Mason. She says, The fool stands only to fall, but the wise trip on grace. If we're going to be fools today, let it be in that upside-down way of the kingdom. That we are fools for trusting in a spirit that we cannot see more than the work in front of us. Fools for believing that God and God alone is bringing about his will in our lives. Fools for grace. Let's pray. God, this morning, would you unclench our fists so that we can give up all the things that we're doing to try to be approved by you and we can just hold on to you. God, I know that there's an opposite problem sometimes where we we don't do anything. But I don't think that's the problem for most of us. I think the problem is that we think we can make it happen on our own. God, help us this morning to remember our salvation, to see who we were before you, and to look and see that even if we're not where we want to be, oh, how you have changed us and you have moved us and you are putting us on a path that ends with you. And as we do that, God, help us just to give up on relying on anything but who you are. Your spirit at work in us. Your spirit moving us. Your spirit sealing it all because you're the one who has the power. And we just get to drink you in. God, let us be a place where every time we come together, we point one another to the crucified Christ. And then we just open up our hands and say Let us receive what he's done for us. Thank you, God.